It must be Thursday. Welcome to Learning Unwrapped, the podcast about your most important life skill, learning. Are you ready to talk football? Well, if you're American, you might call it soccer. My guest today is the national lead for the foundation phase of the Football Association of England and the former head coach of England's senior men's futsal squad. He is the author of the book, Futsal, Training, Techniques, and Tactics. I had the pleasure of interviewing him on the topic of engagement and the game of football or soccer in December of 2020 on Learning Unwrapped. And I am excited, so excited to have him back. Please welcome Pete Sturgis. <laughs> Hi, Nancy. Lovely hey. to see you again. I'm looking so well. It's great Thanks to for see inviting you. Me back. We haven't aged in a minute. No, no. Let's keep talking. That self-talk is a really positive thing to begin. <laughs> See, already you're talking about executive function. Here we go. Um, you and I have had past conversations on engaging youth in the game of football or soccer and the role that executive function plays in the success of a player. I've so enjoyed talking with you about this sports executive function connection. So catch us up. What's been going on in the sport through the pandemic since we last spoke? Well, because we were on a virtual lockdown for almost two years, I know there were different phases of coming in and out of lockdown. So as an association, we put a lot of our resources, a lot of our content, a lot of our information to coaches in a digital format. So we've been able to support coaches remotely and digitally right the way through the pandemic. So Regarding coach education, it hasn't really stopped. In fact, there was an intense period where we converted a lot of our information into a digital format so that we could continue with you know, our support of coaches. Which could really be a great benefit. I mean, we found that in our work with teachers in schools. If they were creating videos, uh, not only now do you have that lesson th that happens at that moment, but you have it recorded so that people can keep going back to it. And I think that's the same thing. So were, uh, were then the coaches still working with, with children? What happened, we, we, had a, we had a real split between coaches who work in the professional game um, with the young children who go to the professional clubs and the coaches in grassroots. The coaches in grassroots, it was more of a struggle for them to keep in regular contact with the children um, through digital, digital means, whereas the coaches in the professional academies, they continued the support of the kids on a regular basis and on a weekly basis. So their development, it wasn't the same as working practically with the children, but it was that ongoing support that just filled that gap. That's really interesting because I, I'm... I'm always thinking about what are the long-term effects of the pandemic on society? Do you think it is going to make it more difficult to uh, you know, have high quality teams based on the fact that you've lost a little ground on the youth foundation part? Or do you feel like, and you know, big term we all talk about in schools is learning acceleration. Do you feel like once the students are back on the field, it'll be learning acceleration and we will see no long-term ill effect with England's amazing soccer team, football team. Yeah, it, it was, 
you could almost say it was a very individual thing. My work with the professional clubs meant that I got feedback from coaches saying that the children were slow to engage back into this regular regime of training two or three nights a week, playing at the weekends, because what they'd done during the lockdown was establish a different routine. And it was more about the family. It was more about being together in that way rather than being within that extended friendship groups that they had developed in the academies. So some kids cope better with it. The work that I referred to earlier that the coaches in the professional clubs were doing, a lot of it was around a social focus so that the kids still maintain that sense of belonging to a group that was very special to them, even though they, they didn't get the chance to play football um, on the field, they still try to keep that sense of belonging between them and their, and their teammates and their coach, which obviously that, that really strong bond and relationship is the one thing that will help teaching and learning when the children returned back to the academies. Yeah, that's brilliant because that, that, is continuing to build social and emotional learning, even though through the pandemic, we lost a lot of the in-person social interaction. Yeah, what we found with very young children, and this is, this is um, not to do with football, but nationally, we found that a lot of very young children, because they weren't interacting in play schools or play groups that they would normally go to, their speech development was affected, their, their socialization was affected because their, their family group became very small. And if mum and dad were balancing, you know, child, uh, working from home or childcare with, with work, then sometimes the children suffered. Not always. Some kids had a right. really good experience, but there were, there were some who, you know, it wasn't a great experience. So I'm glad we're now coming out of that, that difficult period. Yes. And I think that nobody's fault. It's just the, the circumstances exactly. led, yeah. led to a uh, less growth in terms of executive function and social and emotional learning. So yeah. that's an, a, a big focus, which actually brings me to, you had mentioned earlier when we were just chatting behind the scenes that uh, the football association has expanded its program to children under the age of five, the, the youth foundation that you run typically begins at age five. <clears throat> so the idea is that you are now expanding it earlier so that you can focus on those executive function SEL skills. Tell us more about that. Yeah, for me, it's it's a really exciting development to the Football Association's next four-year strategy. What we've built in um, is an early years offer or an early years program that starts with children of four years of age. And the whole program is built upon giving the children autonomy, giving them some choice, giving them a voice in what the sessions look like. We're using a lot of imaginative play, object play, social play as the basis for all of the activities um, so that we start developing those important thinking skills right from the get-go um, so that when, when you're four or five years of age, nobody knows whether you're going to be the next soccer superstar. Right, right. But, but you will be the next 
hopefully well-rounded adult with good values, good beliefs. And we think we can start that process off right from the get-go with our physical activity programs. But in order to do that, you have to give some ownership and responsibility over to the children, even as young as they are. And I think our program, if we can, if we can encapsulate that magic, it will be a real success. And I'm really excited about it. Yeah, it sounds exciting. I love what I love what you're doing. I always I'm glad we're we're speaking again. Uh, so let's let's tease that out further with that executive function piece because in most sports there's two important areas of learning. The first are the skills. So in football or soccer, for example, there's ball control, passing, dribbling, shooting, positioning, spatial awareness. But then there are the skills related to strategy, which draw on executive function. So talk about the latter. What insights and thinking processes do the best players use to excel in the sport? Yeah, it's it's a really great uh, question, Nancy. The, the, the things that you mentioned about the passing, the spatial awareness, the, the, the shooting, we, we would class those as individual techniques. And they are the, the, the toolbox, if you like, that every player needs to develop in order to function in a game of, of football or soccer. We've expanded that. We've, put, we've added another layer and we call that individual tactics. So you've got this toolbox of tools, but then you've got different ways and individual ways in which to use those tools. So if I'm really good at dribbling with the ball, then I can use that tactically. I can draw players towards me. I can move players out of position. So that's actually saying I've got, I possess these techniques, but I want to use them in a strategic way. I want to, um, I want to attract defenders towards me because that will open up spaces for teammates. So we can use all of those tools in a very, very strategic way. And we've added that layer on with players right from the very, very start. I like that the individual tactics, which are more of the strategy and that draws more on executive function. And if we have any artists listening, I uh, used to own an art gallery. You know, I take on these hobbies now and then, Pete. I, I, I don't know why I don't think running an educational consulting company that is changing the world through education isn't enough. But every now and then, so I took on this, this uh, I decided to create an art gallery and I love abstract art. And it is interesting that most people come into a gallery, look at abstract art and, you know, look at one another and say like, you know, oh, honey, buy me some paints. I could do that. And it's really, it's really fascinating because in order to become an abstract artist, first, you need all of the techniques of painting and yeah. you end up doing realism. And I remember one of my uh, favorite artists, Brenda Edwards, who had amazing abstract paintings. She said to me, first, I, I learned to draw trees, you know, or paint trees. And I painted trees really well. I had amazing techniques. And one of my mentors simply said, like, step back and look at that. And it's now like, just go and feel and express. And, and it really, she had to plunge beyond, I'm really good at all those individual skills, if you will, yeah. Yeah, into, yeah. or techniques, I believe you call them, into what is going to take this to a whole other level 
So the next time you see an abstract painting, I hope you'll realize that it's a lot like that idea of being an amazing uh, football, soccer player, or even American football. We just finished the playoffs and what an amazing season it was watching that the, really the executive function function strategies. So uh, let me pivot back here to, uh, to soccer and talk more about those executive function skills. Uh, for instance, let's walk through some of them. One that I love, considering future consequences in light of current action, how do students use and thus build that executive function skill in the game? What are some examples in soccer where you see students considering future consequences in light of current action? Yeah, the answer that I'm going to give you actually links back to that that brilliant example about the, about the artist, and you have to be a, a a real artist to be able to veer away from your your uh, preferred form. So, in order to paint in an abstract way, you have to really know your craft. So, for us, we want to develop soccer players that aren't constrained or bound by either the knowledge of the coach or any coaching methodology. So we work a lot with possibility thinking. And if, if you work with possibility thinking, there are no limits to what solutions we can provide for the problems that the game presents. So if as a coach, you adopt that methodology or that, that pedagogy, you can actually say to the players, in this situation, what can you do? What can you try? what is possible and i think in that way you then begin to develop those kind of predicting skills because as they scan the environment that's informing their decision and from that decision they can say well because of all the techniques i now possess i can answer this game problem by doing this by doing this or by doing this but if your skill level or your technical level is very narrow then you'll keep going back to the same solution for that problem and so this is where it's all really interconnected the development of those physical and technical skills and then the, the cognitive capacity to actually use them effectively or in a strategic way I mean, that such a profound statement and the, the idea of, I love the idea of exploring possibilities because even in academics, if you will, we spend a lot of time, educators spend a lot of time teaching students the techniques of, you know, whatever the, the, the topic is, if it's uh, um, language arts or if it's math, science, and, the, and I particularly go to math, you know, you learn a lot of like how to solve this problem through these uh, steps that you follow. But to really apply math in the real world, you have to be creative too. Yeah. You have to see the possibilities. Maybe there are other ways to you know, get to the answer. And I think when in times, and this is what worries me about the pandemic, in times where we feel like students have got behind, fallen behind, we, we drive home the skills even more. And, it, yeah. and it's like, drill the skills, drill the skills. And the problem with that is you have to get beyond the skills in order to really be a well-rounded, successful human being. You have to be able to take those risks. You have to be able to see those possibilities. And that's all executive function. Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, you've you've made another brilliant point, Nancy. And the same. I just like each other, Pete. No, no, no. It, you know, it's just happening. one brilliant person to another. What can I tell? <laughs> the same's happening in the UK. Um, when the children started returning back to school, it was we need to drill them or we need to do more rote learning in their English and maths. And what what was compromised was PE and recess time and and physical time. Yes. And there's there's so much evidence that connects movement with cognition that we're actually depriving the kids of um, their ability to play out more that will actually help the development of their cognitive skills rather than sit them down and drill them for hour after hour because the pandemic has meant that you've missed some you know, important lessons. I think we need, really need to look at the balance because what we don't want to do because of the approach that we adopt post pandemic, we don't want to um, disadvantage our children even further. And I think that's, that's a possibility if we're not careful. Yeah. Totally agree. That's why I wanted to um, create this podcast on sports as a critical executive function builder. Uh, now you've got me thinking I should do another one, perhaps a series, arts as a critical uh, executive function builder, because it, it has always bothered me when schools are trying to, you know, quote unquote, bring up the test scores that yeah. they will give students double math periods and eliminate the arts from the schedule. And I keep exactly. saying you learn more executive function, which leads to uh, student achievement in art and sports than you do in the classroom. Yeah. Because in a classroom, if a teacher is constantly telling you what to do, when to do it, how to do it, you're not using the prefrontal cortex of the brain enough. Whereas yeah. in social interactions, which of course we know we've lost out on in the pandemic, in social interactions, in sports, in the arts, uh, and you know the practical, the fine, the performing arts, all of that builds such tremendous executive function. I, I think I want to start a school where all we do is play and engage in arts and sports, and I'll and I'll show you a group of students who can excel beyond any program that is just yeah. purely rote academic learning. All right, got no. off my, I got off my uh, off on a tangent there, but let me come back to another. What about um, creating mental images. How do students in soccer, football, create mental images, which is another executive function skill? Yeah, th this is a really interesting one because for the very young players, we're not quite sure what that will look like, partly because, you know, we can't, we can't enter a dialogue with the children to try and find out what they're seeing and, and how successful they are in, in these mental images. But the one thing we do know that the best soccer players, they see patterns. They, they are experts at pattern recognition. So for any given play, they, they will know exactly where their opponents are, where their teammates are, so they can take the most appropriate action. And the way that you build up that pattern recognition is to play lots of games, but also you need to be working with a coach who helps you make sense of it, works with you with your predicting skills and your sequencing skills so that you they are developed alongside this visual pattern recognition. And I think it's an area that we, it's, it's pretty much untapped at the moment. But I think unless you adopt a certain pedagogy 
that includes lots of game-based practice, lots of interactions between the coach and the player, where the coach is more the facilitator of learning and really trying to find out what the player is seeing and what they're thinking. I'm not sure we can really take advantage of it, but I think it's an untapped area, Nancy, so it's a really good point. And you mentioned before the, the ex, you know, um, extending the program, the youth pro program to lower levels. So now you're working more with four-year-olds. Interesting thing about brain development is the part of the brain that handles executive function is right behind your forehead, right up at the front. And we, we didn't even have the ability scientifically to map it until the 1970s. So quite mm -hmm. honestly, it's a, it's a pretty new in terms of our knowledge of this part of the brain, but we do know that it handles the executive function that separates us from other life forms that allows us to be truly thinking, creative, reasoning human beings. Yeah. Uh, and the, the way that part of the brain develops from birth is it develops slowly, slowly, slowly. And there is all of a sudden a huge growth spurt between ages four and five. And I often said, it's probably why years ago, you know, kindergarten, you just started kindergarten when you were five, because I think people looked around and said, four-year-olds are still throwing tantrums or still, you can't do the, if you wait for this, I'll give you this. You know, they don't have executive function skills. And yeah. then all of a sudden at five, it's like they become little human beings and we send them off to school. If you can capture, hats off to the Football Association of England, if you can capture students at that age between four and five, and start building those executive function skills on the football field, I think, I will predict here, Pete, we'll get back together in 10 years. I predict <laughs> you will have even better football players and you will create even more well-rounded citizens. It's so important. Yeah. That, age, that, that little age spurt, that growth spurt between four and five. Yeah. All right, talk about overcoming temptation. You know, that's a good executive function skill. How do yeah, we football? I think with the, with the youngest children as well, this notion of self-regulation and them recognizing, you know, when when um, their emotions are going to overspill or, you know, break out and, and that manifests itself as poor behavior. We are doing a lot of work. Um, a colleague of mine, Sally Needham, who might be brilliant to, to bring on to, you know, your podcast. She's oh, doing right. a lot with, with self-regulation and how we're working with children so that they never get to the point where their emotions boil over. We're actually helping them contain it so that they can feel that they're going to blow, but they, we're putting in mechanisms really early on so that the child can, can manage it themselves. But I think how it manifests itself in soccer is you, you get the five-year-old who thinks the world revolves around them. <laughs> they're, they're oblivious to all the parents shouting, all their teammates calling for the ball. And all they can see is I have the ball at my feet and I want to try to put it in the goal. So sometimes that, that self-regulation is to say, actually, let's stop this desire to meet your own personal needs. Because at times, overcoming this game problem needs your teammates so this ability to recognize when to share or collaborate or to work with others is part of self-regulation because i'm stopping the desire to do it myself which will probably fail 
and I'm willing now to say I need to take another route and that involves other people. So that is a, a regular occurrence in, in you know, the soccer in this country where you see kids meeting their own needs, but it's at the expense of everybody else's needs. We can overcome that. But you have to recognize that it's an issue. Right, right. And and how, I mean, you know, think about how important that skill is just in life in general. You know, you keep talking about the connection between the sport and life. And as you said, let's be reasonable. You have all of these students working, you know, up through the Youth Foundation. There will be a few of them who come out as football stars who will be playing, they'll become professional football players. And and then there are a lot who will just gain tremendously from the experience. Yes. And that's, I mean, if you think about these skills, now we only went through a few in the interest of time. In my book, I've identified 40 executive function skills. And I do believe, I was reading over the list last night, that you can cover them all in a, in a good game of football with Pete Sturgis and the Football <laughs> Association. But if you think about the ones we talked about, overcoming temptation, creating mental images, considering future consequences in light of current action, these are so important, not only, you know, on the field, but in school and in life. And, and yet you can learn them all by playing football. So what do you want parents to know? about the importance of football beyond the field and what advice would you give them in supporting their children in the game? Yeah, I, I think every parent who brings their child to, to soccer practice or, or football practice wants the best for them. They want the children to be physically active and gain all the benefits that comes from being physically active. What we're communicating in the UK is that the methodology that we're actually using when the children come to us might look very different from their notion of what a coach should look like. The coach, we're advocating that the coach doesn't make every decision for the children because you can only develop good decision makers by giving them some ownership over the decisions to be made. You won't see coaches barking on instructions constantly because again, that detracts from the child's ability to make their own decisions and really begin to reflect from past actions and then go back to uh, an alternative strategy, having reflected on it. This, this actually begins very early in children's lives. So I think we have to educate the parents to say, we don't know whether your child's gonna go on to be the next superstar. But what we can give them and equip them with and develop within them are these executive functioning skills that are going to really help them live a healthy and well-balanced and rounded life. But it means that you look at coaching and the role of the coach in a slightly different way. And we have not even been able to scratch the surface of that relationship between coach and player which I also think plays out in a classroom when teachers become coaches uh, as opposed to purveyors of information or skills. Yeah. Uh, so perhaps, you know, I may have to have you back again then, Pete, obviously. <laughs> but I do encourage listeners, if you're fascinated or as fascinated by Pete as I am, if you uh, Google Pete Sturgis, S-T-U-R-G-E-E, -E, no, G-E-E, Geez, Pete, help me out. G-E-S-S. -S. Do that again. S-T-U-R-G-E-S-S. -S. If you Google that, you will uh, find some fabulous videos on YouTube 
Pete, that you've created over the years. And then obviously your book as well. Uh, is there anything else, any other organization, anything that you want to give a shout out to before I ask, I ask you my last question? The Football Association has a, um, it's a repository for coach resources. So we've gone absolutely mental in providing content to support coaches. So we want to engender a real thirst for knowledge and a thirst for development within the coaches. So if, if they Google the Football Association's boot room, as in, you know, in England, a boot room is where the coaches get together and chat and, and, and sort out all the problems. I like that, the boot room. Yeah. If Sorry, you go to the, on or boot, off? Yeah. If you go to the FA's boot room, um, there's loads of content there. Um, that you can access and it will probably help you make a lot of sense into the the methodology and the pedagogy that we've we've tried to establish with our youngest players excellent so england's football association find the website and the boot room that's really cool um thank you for sharing that pete i'm sure that'll help a lot of people and even if you're not coaching it these are fascinating videos to watch, Pete. So you, you can, I think you can learn about teaching, parenting, everything through these, these uh, videos. Okay, let's unwrap the learning. If you could reinvent the training path for football players, what would you want to see as the way to learn the sport in the future? I had, when I was involved in the, um, the England futsal squad, I worked with a coach from Croatia and futsal was well established in Croatia. Kids did it at school. They did it from a really early age. In England, we didn't have that same kind of culture or historical uh, link to futsal and the game of futsal. And this coach watched my players who were senior players and he said they don't feel the game. And I think if we want our children to feel the game, and build a real sensory connection with it. When you're coaching, we have to give them the game. So we can take them into drills and activities that take them away from the essence or the soul of the game of soccer. And if you're young, it's, it's really difficult to make a connection and say how this is gonna help me play the game. So I would like coaches to adopt a different role. You don't wear the crown you're not the king and you don't hold all the knowledge. I would like you to adopt a pedagogy that recognizes that the children are a valuable resource. And so we have to really set them free to release their potential. And we do that by playing the game more and also working in a way that we tap into the development of these thinking skills and these executive functional skills so we maximize our time together. Well, there you have it. Changing the world through football. I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Pete, for your insights. I so enjoy uh, being able to speak with you. And I remember you were actually, you were a guest on the very first episode ever of Learning Unwrapped. So I'm happy to have you back here in season two, where we switched over to a podcast. And I look forward to you coming back again and our continued, um, you know, discussions of all things football and executive function. So thanks for connecting with me across the pond. 
And uh, as I like to say, any final words you would like to say to our listeners? Yeah, I mean, Nancy, thank, thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, one of the nicest things that I can say about you is when we first met, you made me think. And I think that's quite significant in the light of what we've spoken about today. And I think sometimes you need someone to just nudge you out of a potential track or rut that you may have been in. But you, you make me think. And I, I've, I've read your book and it's an excellent read. And I read it thinking, how can I use this, this magic potion, if you like, with the young children who come to my football sessions? So in that way, you challenged me, you made me think. And I think you're brilliant at promoting and provoking that kind of response. So I can't thank you enough. Pete, I think that's the nicest compliment I've ever been given. It, it, if that's what people would say about me, that I made them think, I, I couldn't be happier. That's my life's work, right? So uh, it's a wonderful thing. Well, we'll connect because we now have an online self-paced uh, professional learning experience. We have a lot. We have a collection of them, but we have one of them on executive function, and it includes sections on building executive function through sports, through arts, through through all of that. So I'll definitely get you hooked up with a with free access. So you can take a look at it and we can continue our conversations and, sure, and, and continue you. to uh, inspire one another. I appreciate you it. certainly do. Thank Thanks, you. Pete. And thank you all for listening to Learning Unwrapped. Well, that's a wrap. I'm glad you could join me. I hope you'll subscribe, like, and share this podcast and help me spread the word about the power of learning. Till next time.